Butler. I'm an alcoholic. Good to be here. Grateful to be sober. I love AA. Thanks for the invite, Julie, to come share at your meeting. Uh, I can tell this is my tribe. Uh, I can see the neurotic ones just by looking at you on the screen. I, I like that. That makes me feel like I fit in a little bit. Uh, I want to thank my posse for showing up. I've looked through the screens and several of my sponsorship families here. Uh, my sponsor, Tommy M, is here, so I appreciate you showing up to support me, Tommy. You know, and I, I want to kind of start with that before I get into my uh, a little bit of my story since I had 20 minutes. Uh, I've been greatly fortunate that the influencers I've had in my sobriety have helped bring me out of an unspeakable abyss of misery and, and suffering that only here do I really have people who understand me and that I get to understand you. The power of this program, the power of the unity of Alcoholics Anonymous, the power of the fellowship to embrace uh, someone as sick as I was mentally, emotionally, uh, and, and who had the same uh, similar problem that I had with alcohol uh, and the same similar solution that I found in alcohol, which is a paradox, if you will. But, you know, uh, uh, it's often said that we get to come here on the shoulders of giants, and I absolutely believe that's the truth. I've had four sponsors in my sobriety. My first sponsor was a guy by the name of William Barney Barnett, known as Barney. Uh, and he sponsored me till he passed away sober at the age 86. My second sponsor uh, was Clancy. He sponsored me through the last four years of Barney's illness. Uh, and then Tom, I took over my case uh, and uh, he was my sponsor until he slowly lost his mind due to a brain tumor and dementia. And Tommy has been my mentor and my friend for many years. So when, when Tom was incapable of knowing who I was, when I would call, uh, I just asked Tommy if he'd take on my case and, uh, and I'm fortunate to have that type of influence uh, and mentorship, uh, guidance and direction in my life. And, and for many years, if you're newer in this meeting, I want to welcome anybody who might be new or identifying as new. And if you don't know if you're uh, winding, your, winding your butt or scratching your watch, I, you're in the right place. And I, and I hope you uh, stay. And before I get into a, a part of my story, I want to become an alcoholic first, because if I get into my story, you might mistake me as a mental case so i want to i want to be alcoholic first and then we'll come around to that stuff that's kind of interesting to the scientific mind but uh, sometimes not here uh i found me on page 44 of the big book uh for a long time i didn't believe i was alcoholic folks for a long time i bought those diagnoses that i had been given by the experts uh starting at the age of nine and I'll just briefly say this. I was given 21 different psychiatric diagnoses from the age of nine to the age of 27. So when I came to you, I was absolutely convinced I was probably insane. I had all kinds of demonstrations in my life to suggest that that might be accurate. And, and, but there's no way I'm alcoholic. All I drink is beer. But here's the interesting part. I read a lot of the big book right up to chapter four. Didn't really, didn't really get interested in any of that. I've had lots of people tell me I need to quit drinking throughout my life, and I ignored them. Uh, I didn't like them a whole lot. They, they couldn't mind their own business for some strange reason, and it really bothered me. Like the Navy, they seemed to want me not to miss ships movement. They wanted me to uh, to show up polished and straight and all that stuff, but it's kind of difficult when you drink the amount of beer I did. But here's what makes me alcoholic in case you're new, and I'm going to put this in the first person. It starts on the third sentence of We Agnostics, and I promise I'm not going to read you. I just want to read this to set the stage. If, when I honestly want to, do I find I cannot quit drinking entirely? You know, I can lie to you. I lied to my wives. I lied to the Navy. I lied to anybody of interest. I said I could quit drinking anytime. I just don't want to quit drinking anytime. And what happened was 
I didn't understand, you know, and, and later in how it works, Bill writes alcohol, cunning, baffling, and powerful. And the reason that one phrase is so important to me, alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful, I discovered that I'm the cunning part of that phrase. I'm that, that threesome. I'm the cunning part. There isn't nothing else doing it for me. There's nothing trying to kill me or wants me dead. Uh, the cunning part is me, where I can find a way to take a drink and justify a drink. I can justify my behavior. I can rationalize my behavior to where I can take a drink and think I can safely. That's the cunning part. The baffling part was I could not understand. I know the science of alcohol, and I don't mean to be controversial. I just got to say it the way it is. Science is an interesting thing. Science can prove facts. You know, I'm entitled to my opinion, but I'm not entitled to my own facts, I was told. And one of the facts about science is alcohol is not an addictive substance by nature. That's just a scientific fact. 34 out of 35 people can drink safely. That's just a fact. For some reason, I can't, and that baffles me. Why can't I? It's like, why can't I quit when I want to? Why can't I stay quit? What, what's this all about? I don't understand. I was baffled by that. I was baffled by the fact I could, I, once I take that first drink, I'm hooked. And I don't understand that because I know it's not addictive by nature. And I see people drinking safely all the time, and I, that baffled me. And the powerful aspect of that, I'm going to get into that in a minute. So if it, when I honestly want to, I find I cannot quit drinking entirely. So I decided I don't want to quit because deep down inside, I somehow know I can't. That's baffling to me. And then it says, or if when drinking, do I have little control of the amount I take? And I thought, oh, my God, I don't like this test. These are two questions. I don't know if you've ever taken the John Hopkins 20 questions test. And I don't mean to offend anybody's sensibilities. If the 20 questions helped you, I respect that. But I thought it was the dumbest test I ever saw, and I'll tell you why. When you get to the bottom of that 20 questions, they actually give you the predicate of what they're going to base it on, base their assessment on. It says if you answer yes to one, you might be alcoholic. If you answer yes to two, you're probably alcoholic. If you answer yes to three or more, you're definitely alcoholic. Well, I'm definitely not going to answer three. I can tell you that right. I don't care what's on that test. And so, so I'm expecting, because I, I took the John Hopkins test when I was put in the mental institution one time, and I only answered basically one and a half. And so this only has two. And then it says, you are probably alcoholic. And I went like this, that was close, because probably is not definitely. And I'm here to report to you fine folks that most of us I've experienced, including four members of my family, die drunk somewhere between probably and definitely. And I guess my quest is how do I get pulled from probably to definitely alcoholic? And I, and I can say this real quickly is I was pulled from probably to definitely somewhere in that first thousand meetings, somewhere during my first fourth and fifth step, my first somewhere during the 12 steps, somewhere during the countless fellowships my sponsor drug me to the countless conventions, my sponsor drug me to somewhere in that interim, I went from probably alcoholic to definitely alcoholic. And I can't honestly tell you exactly when. I talked about it a lot, but I didn't know exactly when that actually happened. So I'm a big proponent of staying sober because even if you're miserable and you're sober, at least you got a chance of getting unmiserable. And we don't have to take that drink or pop a bunch of pills like I was doing before I came to AA. And we might be able to find relief if we know what the real problem is. So those two, those two statements... Can't quit when I want to, and 
when I'm drinking, I can't control the amount I take. That's what probably makes me alcoholic. And I had that. When the Navy said, Butler, you got to quit drinking. You got to go to treatment. I said, I ain't going to treatment. I'm not an alcoholic. I only drink beer. And, uh, and, and they said, okay, so they sent me home is what they did. I made a choice. You know, they say we've lost the power of choice over alcohol. Here's an example of that. When the Navy said, I wanted to make the Navy a career. I found I like structure. I fit in. I have these, I have these guys around me that I try to buddy up to. I don't want to leave the Navy. I, I'm enjoying my life in the Navy. But when he said, you got to quit drinking or we're going to discharge you, I, there's no choice. I took the discharge. And I didn't understand that. I was more baffled than ever before. And then the last part of that, the, the powerful effect of alcohol. And I want to suggest to you folks, that was the bane of my existence, that powerful, that, that effect produced by alcohol. Dr. Silkworth calls it the unusual effect that abnormal drinkers drink essentially because we like the effect produced. And I, I did not have the words until I met you. And now I want to just break away for just a minute. Why alcohol is so important to me? I've been psychiatrically institutionalized 17 times. I've been diagnosed 21 psychiatric diagnoses. The only one I wasn't diagnosed was schizophrenic. But I had my last diagnosis was psychopaths with homicidal tendencies. That was my last. I'm not proud of that. I'm just reporting facts. That's what was my last diagnosis. They said I had no emotional connection to another human being. The last time they drugged me out and locked me up at the Watertown Insane Asylum, that was the name of it. You can Google that. Just do it later. The Watertown Insane Asylum. They drugged me out of my apartment, and one of the reports on their the thing that they wrote on my case was they said, we found no pictures, we found no mirrors, we found no existence beyond him. That was the basic essence of what they wrote. They had no pictures, no mirrors, nothing. And it's like I lived in this abyss of my own making, and I didn't understand that. I didn't understand what was wrong with me. And uh, the only time I had – it's like – I've been born with my eyeballs locked inward and they're just, I couldn't see outside. Everything was about me, around me, of me. I was so selfish and self-centered by nature. I didn't understand what was, I always wondered what's wrong with me. Why do I feel this way? Why do I think this way? Why can't I connect with another human being? I want to be loved. Sally Fields made a statement that sums up my life when she got that Academy Award. Her statement was, you love me. You really do. It's like I'm wanting someone to tell me who and what I am and convince me that I'm an okay person. And I didn't, but you know, when I'm drinking alcohol, it's a different story. You give me a few Budweiser's and I get good looking. I get smart. I'm not retarded anymore. I I get along. I can talk to people. I can dance. I I met a girl at the senior dance. The first time I drank, I was diagnosed mentally retarded. I was put in a retarded group home. That's what they called it back then. They didn't call it special ed. They put me in a group home. I was raised in an alcoholic home. The violence, the 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 uh, immoral conduct in that family didn't make me an alcoholic, but it, like Bill talks about in the 12 and 12, it discolored my personality. And my dis- my personality was terribly discolored. Victims don't get to stay sober, I discovered, so I can't stay a victim, but I don't, know how, I don't even know that I'm a victim. I just like to drink, and I don't even know why I like to drink. I have terrible hangovers, but it's at, it's at 15 minutes. I'll, I'll call it 15 minutes. It's that 15 minutes where I feel one with the world when I'm drinking it. It's thus, alcohol does something it's not biochemically indicated to do. Alcohol is a depressant. That's it. It's a central nervous system suppressant. It's supposed to impair my judgment, make me tired, and pass me out. That's what it's supposed to do. It ain't supposed to make me good looking, smart, be able to dance, talk to girls. I didn't understand any of that. So I was really baffled and I was really confused. But AA gave me a better way to say it. Alcohol freed me from the bondage of self. 
alcohol enabled my eyeballs to turn outward and see the world. But when I'm sober, my eyeballs turn back inward automatically. It's like nature it just happens. And I don't know what to do about that, folks. I don't ever plan on quitting drinking because unbeknownst to me, the effect produced by alcohol is what's making me do that. And Chuck C. talked to me about duality a lot in my early days. Chuck C. was big on this idea of duality. And there's a duality to alcohol. Alcohol was a terrible problem for me. I could not stop drinking. I was getting sicker and sicker. My, my physiology was getting terrible from all the booze I was drinking. So alcohol was a problem because I can't stop drinking on my own. That, folks, is a problem. And I was getting consequences from my drinking. I was getting all legal consequences, marital consequences. But you know what? I found out this powerful effect produced by alcohol makes those consequences inconsequential. It just doesn't matter. I don't care. And if I'm hurting you, I don't care. That's your problem. You shouldn't be around me. And I brought that package into Alcoholics Anonymous. I took my last drink on November 8th of 1977. I haven't had a drink in 45 years and 29 days, one day at a time. For those of you counting days, I have 29 days plus 45 years. I want to add that. I think long-term sobriety needs to be talked about. It needs to be, it needs to be respected and mentioned. I'll tell you why. Because over the course of the past 45 years, one day at a time, I have been brought out of an unspeakable abyss of darkness in my life that, that only alcohol could make me function with, to live with a certain knowledge that there was something terribly wrong with me, that I was broken, that there was no hope for me. I don't know if you know what this feels like or not. Some of you do, I'm sure. But I remember when I held my baby girl in my hands, and I have to tell you the truth, I felt absolutely nothing. I felt nothing. And what I do is I pretended I did because I knew I was supposed to. Then my son was born. I felt nothing. He didn't matter to me. It's just a sickening thing to have to tell you, but that's the truth. But you know what? You give me a few drinks, and I love them kids to death. Take away the drink, and I go back to being that dark-souled person, and I don't know why. One of the reasons they locked me up in the psych ward 17 times. And, it, and I have to tell you something. The Watertown Insane Asylum was a favorite place for me. I was committed there. For, I, was, I was there 14 times. I self-committed four times because that's where my girlfriend lived. I have to tell the truth. That's where she lived. She was a, she, she was a, you know, she had so many personalities. It was like dating somebody new every time I went back to the institution. And uh, you just signed in four times too. She had so many personalities. I nicknamed her Sybil. I mean, she was great. They used to let her walk me around the guard, around the grounds in a straight jacket uh, the last few times I was in there. And so, uh, that that's not normal that there's something wrong and, and i had a legion of people telling me butler there's something wrong with you this ain't just about drinking there's something bad wrong with you and and so i want to i want to take my last five and a half minutes and share this this is why i'm here this is why i'll get up at five o'clock and try to get my mind right do my prayer and meditation i got up and did my 11 step this morning at five o'clock because i wanted to be on my toes i wanted to be sharp and i want to present myself in a respectable manner because AA gave me the respect I needed to get sober. And the least I can do is show that respect back to AA. And that's what I try to do one day at a time. Because I found a place to live in a way I can live that didn't seem possible to me. And I want to tell you, you know, it, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my time. So now i got five minutes left. So I want to say this, and if you're a professional, I don't mean to disrespect your profession, because I believe all those professions mean well, and they try to help us, don't they? They try so hard, but we baffle them. We're the baffling part of alcoholism for those experts, because just like the, uh, Carl Jung was baffled by Roland Hazard, 
and the Oxford group was baffled by Ebby Thatcher. All those, we are baffling to those people that just can't get inside and see what's really wrong with me. And what I've come to discover was Chuck C was right. I only have one problem in life. And this took me years of sobriety, years of being undrunk for this fact that, that uh, Chuck was trying to pr- uh, present to me. He said that he only had one problem in life. And that problem is conscious separation from his loving father, God. That went right over my head. But it circled around. I like what Clancy says about putting things for future reference, not to discard them, put them for future reference. And that reference came back around to me in later years of my sobriety, which is why I'm so glad I was able to stay undrunk and sober through the years, through the tumultuous years of, of my terrible emotions and these, these feelings that maybe these doctors are right. But here's what I want to say to you. You know, in, in how it works, I like how that when that script for the meeting was written by Clancy, I believe it was Clancy's uh, uh, format in part, where he, where, where he talks about us coming together and about the, how it works being the heart of the program. I believe that's absolutely true, that it's the heart of the program. In part B, Bill wrote that probably no human power could relieve us of our alcoholism. No, that probably no human power. The human powers of medicine, psychiatry, psychology, sociology, theology, pharmacology, and talk therapy all tried to relieve Wayne Butler of his alcoholism, but they failed utterly. Not their fault. They, they, they're able to study behavior and uh, whatever answers I give them to their questions, but what they can't study is my real problem. And I've come to discover when I set everything else aside, my real problem is a spiritual malady. And I almost missed how simple that is. You see, the farther I get away from the needed power to live, the more dark and negative I become, the more malicious I become, the more dark. It's like, I understand Charles Manson. I understand him. He went too long without a connection and went past the point of no return. That's what happened to him, in my opinion. And I was on that same track. I was on that same track of not ever coming home again. And being undrunk, being sober and alcoholics anonymous gave me the time through excellent sponsorship, having a home group that's structured, st- stopping all that other psychiatric stuff that was going on with me. And at the age of 27, taking my last drink and dropping all those meds. And by the way, I don't recommend you do it the way I did it. It could have killed me. But you know what? I knew that if I had, if I was going to have any chance at life, I was going to have to get off all that medication and I was going to see if AA could actually work for me first. And precisely that's what I did. You know what I discovered? When I was seven years sober, I was still running around AA meetings, putting guns up to people's heads. My sponsor put me on a Greyhound bus one way to Los Angeles. And he said, you go see that Clancy guy. He put me on that one-way bus ride. And I got out of that bus, went to the midnight mission and met Clancy. He called down a, a, a person by the name of Big Ed, Big Ed M. Six foot ten, big guy. He came down and he took my guns out of my suitcases, and that's when I met Clancy. And I stayed there for six months with him, and I discovered something about me. He had a backyard full of nut jobs just like me. It's the first time in my life I felt like I fit in, and I wasn't in a psychiatric ward. Although it might have looked like that, there just wasn't any walls, if you know what I mean. Have you ever been to that backyard and played volleyball? See some interesting personalities come out. So what I'm saying to you is there's no doubt in my mind that the God of AA, the God of AA, you know, God alone is not sufficient for me to stay sober. And I discovered for a guy like me, AA alone is not sufficient. I need both inextricably linked. And I found out that in groups like this, where we believe sobriety is nothing from the neck up, where you give a guy like me a chance to find my way 
naturally. And it's, it was dangerous for me, I thought. And what I found out was as I stayed sober, a lot of these sponsees of mine are in this meeting. My sponsor's here. My grand sponsors are here. I've got a great, great grand sponsee in this meeting. What they did was they are the ones that brought me out. And I just want to say this before I close. I never felt the true emotion of love in my life. And as years went by, I'll tell you how I came out of that abyss. The people I sponsor, my sponsor kept throwing alcoholics at me to work with. And you know what? One day I was sober many years when a person that I was working with, I actually felt this thing. And I didn't know it was, I loved this person. And I'll close with that. You brought me out to where I could see that to love means to serve, to, to be interested in you, to stop being interested in me. And I want to just say that if that's the only thing I get out of AA, if that's what I get, that's a life beyond my wildest dream to be in this meeting, in this room with all you guys in your little squares, to be with you and to know I belong here, to know I fit and to know I've got a good purpose. That's a life beyond my wildest dream. I'll leave it there. Thanks, Julie.